This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Become a patron today at patreon.com forward slash into the portal. The Minch, Scotland, January 1703. It was a particularly cold, damp evening as a small sloop headed north through the unforgiving channel separating the Scottish mainland from the mist-shrouded Hebrides. Waters called the Minch. A treacherous strait, prone to sudden storms, strange wrecks, and indeed, intense superstition. For it is a place steeped in ancient maritime myths and legends, leading to general trepidation among seamen of strange shapes in the water. Just what the crew of this vessel would find. At first, the sailors thought themselves to be alone in the glaring waters, though their minds told them they ought to search carefully amongst the lapping waves one last time. Leaning over the edge of the vessel, squinting, one could just barely make out the shimmering outline of strange, grayish-blue, elongated faces hiding just beneath the surface of the water. They knew what they were seeing, and that their fates may have just been sealed within the watery depths of the Minch. For the waters they crossed belonged not to that of humans, but rather to a mysterious race of amphibious humanoids known as the Blue Men. For millenniums, the ancient peoples of the Hebridean Islands and the Northern Orkneys have lived as one with the sea, worshipping its bounty, while also fearing its power and indeed the creatures they knew to lurk within its vast, dark, pressure-crushing expanse. An alien world hiding right here on Earth, just beyond their reach. But not beyond the reach of various different races of aquatic and amphibious humanoid beings. Creatures believed to be creations of oral tradition, cautionary tales, and the products of overactive imaginations of peoples across the Scottish Isles, referred to as merfolk in the Hebrides and the finfolk in the Northern Isles. Whether their tales of treachery are based on any truth is indeed an intriguing mystery. After all, today, over 80% of the world's oceans remain unmapped and unexplored, leaving us to wonder if some folkloric entities across our world may in fact be inspired by aquatic enigmas seen only fleetingly over hundreds of years. Could ancient amphibious humanoids be hiding in what are the true origins of some of these fantastical creatures? Welcome back into the portal as we investigate tales of merfolk, finfolk, and the legend of the men of the Minch.
Hello, I'm Amber Ray. And I'm Andrew McKay. Welcome back into the portal. Your gateway to the bizarre. And bizarre it will be today, but <laughs> classically bizarre. We're not going too far out the line, so to speak, not, you know? Not too far out the line, but uh, if the line is the surface of the water, we're definitely going into the depths. We're plunging. Plunging deep. Mm. <laughs> that, that could be taken out of context, let's say. Okay. <laughs> no, but I'm stoked about this today because it's actually been a very long time coming. We started working yep. on uh, merfolk maritime lore research about a year ago when we went to visit your mom on Vancouver Island because, you know, we were going yeah. on the ferry. That was the trip where we actually saw some orcas off the coast, which was pretty cool. We got that really cool necklace, or my mom bought it for me for my birthday, that is from Pyra, or Pyra, I still don't know how to pronounce it, but right. <laughs> the mermaid. The mermaid. Pretty cool. It's like a talisman with the mermaid, mm-hmm. which actually uh, will I come up in discussion. Hmm. Yeah, you haven't worn that for a while. Man. Very cool. I'm wearing uh, much for a while, though. <laughs> <laughs> very true. Yes, Amber has been recovering, but doing very well. And, yeah, uh, a little we've bit had, of minor surgery. Yeah, it's we've had some well good. wishes from people, and we appreciate that so thank you to everyone who's done that yeah today we are discussing something that we were inspired by pretty much by watching the movie the lighthouse the film the lighthouse which i think was 2018 2018 i believe it was we didn't actually pull it up because this is not a film friday although the themes from the film will come up throughout the discussion today because it is indeed bad luck to kill a seabird lad was it last summer then when we went to visit my mom in August that we watched this movie with yes. those two? I'm pretty sure it was. Yes. Yeah. It was hilarious, actually, because we, yeah. we watched it with Amber's mom and her aunt, and uh, they picked it. I believe it was a shout-out to, to Faye. I'm pretty sure it was a, a choice by your aunt Faye. We loved it. I mean, it's an amazing it. film. And then she ended up hating it. Uh, they hated it. They didn't have a clue what was going on. Going on. I mean, truthfully, neither did we Who's until we watched guy? it the second time. Who's this guy? Who's this guy? I thought he was with them. No. <laughs> I don't know. Anyways, no, it was a great movie, and we highly recommend checking it out because we will probably cover it on a film Friday. Uh, I would love to. Yeah, I think a lot of our listeners have probably even seen it already. I mean, it's been out for a bit, and it's just so awesomely atmospheric yes. and paranormal and just. Oh man, it's just Dark. oozing the themes that we love here on Into the Portal, really which cool. is amazing. And done in like a classic sort of neo-film noir style, yeah, which I really appreciate. Also, uh, another good one to check out that I want us to check out, mm. uh, we'll have to do the Netflix hack around. Apparently, this was made in 2018 too, starring Gerard Butler. It's called The Vanishing, and it's right. it's based off uh, lore associated with the area that we're talking about and the themes. So I would highly recommend checking that one out too. Absolutely. Yeah. Before we dive right into things here, pun intended, nautical reference, mm-hmm. ocean reference, we have a couple of shout outs because yeah. uh, we have a few uh, new patrons to, to welcome to the fold here, and we really just appreciate yeah. it so, so much. Welcoming back, Anid Vicente, Jessica Elder, thank you both. We really yes. are so grateful and appreciative and happy to have you two back in the Patreon fold. Yes. And we'll be releasing um, probably some content, hopefully soon, on Patreon that uh, will be exclusive Yes, indeed, we will. It's been... Indeedo. We've already kind of let some of the patrons know that we are in the midst of of a move, actually going to Vancouver Island, where we will be closer to the ocean. There might be more nautical theme Mm -hmm. uh, cryptids and things that we discuss on the show but yeah it's been super busy surgery for amber moving Mm -hmm. so uh that all that stuff is coming we've got some great great stuff coming actually later today we're sitting down with adam benedict just for a little chit chat about 
some project ideas too. Adam from the Pine Barrens Institute, as you all well know. Mm-hmm. Very Author excited about of, that. Uh, many fantastical. How many does he have in his belt now? Is it three or four? It's the three for sure. Ghosts three, in yeah. print, monsters in print, and oddities in print. Cool. Highly recommend yeah. picking up all three of those. Uh, you can get them on Amazon. Mm-hmm. I think we have the links for those uh, for his books in the episodes that feature Adam. So if you haven't listened to like the Dogman series, go check that out. And he's mm-hmm. been on for a couple of discussions. So yep. stoked to do some more stuff with Adam. But I think it's time to delve into the topic mm-hmm. of today. So we are discussing, broadly speaking, merfolk and finfolk. Now, we have in the past already covered mermaids. We had a great discussion with mm-hmm. Shay Conger, another friend of the show, marine biologist. Shout out, Shay. And no doubt, mermaids and sirens do come up again in today's discussion. Yeah. But it's branching off into a few different directions. It's not the types of encounters we discussed in the mermaids episode. It's a, getting a little bit more folkloric, but also just more ancient is the the feel I get from everything we've looked at with so the research like, today. Oh, yes. Another great cult movie, B-movie we watched recently. I think it was literally just called Dagon, that one. Dagon, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We can discuss that another time. But yes, today... Talking about the fin folk, also, you know, have a ton of other different names to describe this broad umbrella of different creatures and entities. Dina Maura, the Nereids, which is actually a term that's come up before, mm-hmm. the Blue Men of Minch, obviously the mermaids, sirens, or other humanoid like aquatic figures that the have. Selkies, oh, yes, the, indeed, the selkies, yeah. which can be freshwater or saltwater based. These types of creatures, like, you know, they've been around for a long time. They've haunted the imaginations of the peoples of Western Europe, certainly, and other parts of the world as well. And then specifically have captured the minds of uh, of classical Scots throughout the ages, uh, yes. leading into the Middle Ages and, and beyond, like, even more ancient than that. So it's, it's, it's a lot. It's a rich canon of lore mm-hmm. yeah let's say that and we love it so much because like everything on into the portal really we discuss it's just like this razor thin fine line for us i mean not with every single story which some are very much like you know like a poem or folk tales where you know it's it is that but just this this razor thin line between history and and then the application of folklore that we interpret modern day and like where and Where are the inspirations actually come from for well, these different Well, exactly, things? and you can even add one other axis to that. You could say it's kind of the interactions of history, folklore, and the unexplainable to Absolutely. a large degree. Because yes. a lot of these things are, uh, I would say, coming from without the bounds of science or unexplained by science. Like borderline <laughs> magical. Yeah. Like, But it's also borderline cryptozoological. Which isn't magical when we have those types of discussions, right? Mm -hmm. But here are a few sort of bullet point themes here just to kind of keep things like in order. And you guys know what we're talking about today. We don't get out of control like we tend to on Into the Portal. The infinite power of the sea. Obviously, what mysteries does it still hold? Hark, Poseidon. I had to just put that in there because Amber, she's rolling her eyes at me. After we watched The Lighthouse, I could not start stop doing the Willem Dafoe (sighs) lines. (laughs) <laughs> it's like that episode of Jerry and the voice in Seinfeld. I'm like, it's either me or the voice. So now every time, well, <laughs> so, now, so now every time we're eating seafood or we're around anything, uh, like, I mean, we're moving to the island. You might get a couple more hark besides. But obviously encounters with merfolk, is this all just the human mind? Is it fantasy? Is it just stories and folklore? And also ancient peoples of these distant islands that we're going to discuss today off the coast of Scotland specifically. And then obviously the film The Lighthouse like we said, has inspired today's episode, but it's important for sort of like 
peppering into discussion because of some of the paranormal stories that we're going to talk about today in relation to just this idea of dark energy, again, like the power of the sea, and is it really just the human mind or is it something more? Is it something that can be experienced to those who are willing if you or in just in the wrong place or the right place at the right time, depending perhaps, on your perspective? Perhaps. Usually the wrong place, though. Usually the wrong place. So let's get into just merfolk. So before we get into some of these, let's go over some of the basics of the archetype. So this guy, John T. Cruz, he has like three sort of classifications. And the first one he talks about is the merfolk. And this would include like very familiar archetypes, you know, mermaids, fin folk is another sort of uh, way they're described, specific to Orkney too. We're going to be talking about the Orkney Islands quite a bit as yes, well. Yes, indeed. The, uh, Hebri- Hebri- Hebrides? The Hebrides, Hebrides, I think. Yes, and these are interesting because they're said to have a civilization. These are not, like, um, they're not lone wolves, so to speak, like, you know, and in, in, as a differentiator. They have a civilization all of their own in the sea. It kind of reminds me of, like, Atlantis or something. Yes, indeed. So the lore says, the merfolk remain the most humanistic of the mythological creatures of the sea within this particular tradition. And they come into contact with humanity probably the most out of all the classifications. There's some really cool descriptions of their homeland, too, that we'll get into in a bit here. Right. Uh, The second category would be more hybrid-like creatures. One in specifically that we're going to be talking about are selkies. Rowan are also included in this categorization. They're just more animalistic. And they are shapeshifters, too, especially when we're talking about the selkies. Allegedly, they are incredibly beautiful. They can appear quite human-like to people. Interestingly, there's this this sort of uh, descriptor of a seal-skin-like thing that they are bound to. And they wear and they travel the seas as, as a seal. And their eyes are kind of the only giveaway that there's something more than just a seal. Or like, you know, maybe like a marine horse. Like we get those types of descriptions as well. Yeah, lots of horse head sort of. Yeah. yeah. That's, and no. it's kind of funny because they say it's like it's, it's better to chariot people away to the their death. Kind of. It's kind of freaky. They're not really like cute and cuddly. They're not benevolent, no. No. They're associated with, yeah. Exactly. And then there's this other category. So this is the third, and this is obviously the most broad. It can include things like sea trows. This is another Orkney tradition. The buka, that comes more so from the Cornwall area, and the nafir norm, which we are going to get into quite a bit, which would be the blue men of the Hebrides. Yes, the blue men. It's really cool because I I like how he's painting a picture of, like, you know, how you can kind of systematize this but it's also painting a super diverse picture of what we're talking about it's not just mermaids okay people it's (laughs) it's a little more complicated mermaids yeah (laughs) no and just so many crossover themes like the idea of beauty as almost like a lure right and along with that idea of of luring or also very much being like anti-christian is a theme that comes up in a lot of this discussion of fin folk and merfolk it has this very witch-like quality to it like the like shape paganesque very much so Celtic the paganism the, the different animal human forms the fact that you can i mean more or less quote like bewitch you know a human or or entrance them entice them to to you know to essentially to their impending mm. doom right which um, again could be an extended metaphor for just the sea itself exactly the sea is a beautiful thing but it's also deadly <laughs> and it always comes back to this too it's it's this very much like a cautionary tale you know uh, the selkies especially you know there's river selkies there's lock selkies there's ocean uh dwelling mm-hmm. selkies and it's all these different obviously dangerous bodies of water mm-hmm. you don't want 
young children to, to go yeah. towards. And that's sort of like, I think, more of like medieval era buildup and those types of uh, parts of the folklore. Mm-hmm. And then there's the the much more ancient, the inhabitants of islands, you know, the, pre, the pre-Celtic tribes that, you know, were worshipping all kinds of different things <laughs> and maybe experiencing all kinds of different things, yeah. which is very much a good summation of what Amber just went through there because we were talking about, yes, this more expansive category of merfolk, not just specifically the mermaid, which of course we're all most familiar with. And just the fact that these merfolk have so many different names, their origins are legendary and also extremely mysterious. They have these characteristics that are both frightening, but also both are, are also, um, are what's, what's the word for like, um, oh my God, it's, it's like escaping your, the uncanny, exactly. Mm. Like Frankenstein-esque, right? We mm-hmm. see ourselves in these creatures for skeptics that it makes sense, right? We, everywhere on earth, there's hominid stories. Everywhere on earth, there's merfolk mm-hmm. stories because we just like see ourselves and everything. We make it all up. But is it just that? Yeah, I, exactly. I, I don't think so. There's a basis in something. There's a basis in reality for everything. One of the ideas that came up early in the research for this episode that we've discussed off-air was this idea that perhaps the more modern mermaid and the iteration of some of the more modern encounters with with merfolk are perhaps creatures that are remnants of an even more ancient or a more bizarre mer-creature that may tie into some of the things we're talking today that are hybrids, like the selkies, or that are more mysterious, like the blue men of mm-hmm. the minch and and like things like this. And I think it's important to remember that even though we're discussing things that are a little bit more folk- folkloric, that only 80% or sorry, 80% of the world's oceans are still marked as essentially unexplored. Like there's, you know, uh, scientific groups working on mapping the entire Mm -hmm. ocean floor, but, and like LIDAR, but no one has actually been to these places, right? No, they are completely unexplored. Mm -hmm. It is essentially like space right beneath us, (laughs) beneath the surface. And that to me is both terrifying and utterly fascinating. It's a concept we've brought up multiple times on the show. We never know what's going there. We do not know. And even you brought up the, the, that little crazy post, I can't remember if it was like deep sea history or something or Oh, just this morning. Yeah. It was like that 400 year old shark. Yeah. It was a Greenland shark. Uh, one which is now the oldest on record vertebrate ever recorded, over four hundred years mm-hmm. old. It was three hundred ninety. Was it three? Mm-hmm. Okay, the one article said four hundred plus. Anyway, they're rounding up. But regardless, three hundred and ninety yeah. whatever. This thing was around in the sixteen hundreds. That is insane it's a to Renaissance think. Shark. And this is a creature that obviously we know exists that comes to you know levels of the ocean where it can be observed. And actually, very fittingly, also just kind of scrolling on Instagram the other day uh, in preparation for this ep- not in preparation for the episode, but like before the episode, I just kept on seeing posts about giant squids. It's the mm-hmm. classic thing, man. Like the world is listening to us. Obviously, these algorithms because I'm just seeing posts about ancient sharks videos of giant squids that are titled the kraken and we've been researching all this crazy deep sea stuff so yeah it's been a very fitting week of the exposure to uh, things we've seen so yeah i just think that's important to remember what strangeness is left out there to be discovered possibly entire civilizations of creatures who knows who knows who knows so specifically today like amber said we're talking about this place that is just steeped in mystery Mm. the islands off the coast of scotland the hebrides the Hebridean Islands, and I'm sure there'll be some Scottish listeners that... Uh, Hebridean? I don't know. That Anyways. was not a Scottish No, accent. it wasn't. No, that was like but, more leprechaun. Yeah, that was like a mix of leprechaun and something else. Not sure. Hit us up if you have any ideas what Amber's <laughs> accent sounded like there. 
But the I really want to visit this place. It is just so cool. Very remote. You can take day trips there. You can't actually stay on the outer Hebridean islands like the Flannan Isles, which is one of the I furthest possible points. Well, picture put up a tent and well, yeah, oh, the Flannan still, Isles Lighthouse mystery. That's another one for another day. Are there still people stationed at the lighthouse? Or is no, it, it is all automated now, mm. as most lighthouses are. I think the lighthouses that are occupied are just by people that uh, like own that lighthouses to, and choose yeah. to. You know, turn the light on. Sti- sure. And, yeah. But yeah, all the official lighthouses, I think, are automated for the most part. Cool. I think the last ones went out of being man operated in like, you know, the 70s. Mm. It's quite a long time ago already. But these are a series of remote islands off the coast of Scotland. There's the inner and outer Hebrides. So this is off the west coast and it makes up a massive portion of land. And there's quite a few different islands. There's a great number of large islands that are inhabited and then also a ton of smaller islands as well, stretching all the way out to the Flannins, which is heading way out into the Atlantic Ocean. Mm-hmm. Very, very remote. And I don't know if, if you, everyone listening is actually familiar with it. We will cover it on another episode, but it is the site of one of the one of our favorite mysteries, the Vanished Lighthouse Keepers, where three men just inexplicably disappeared. And there's a lot of mundane theories and there's a lot of fantastical theories and it does actually tie in a little bit to the things we discussed today because it is the same area of a lot of this malevolent thin folk mm-hmm. lore. Do you want to get into some specifics with the Flannan Isles? We actually don't know a lot about the ancient peoples who occupied these islands which have been inhabited for over 14,000 years at a time when actually they could have been connected in different ways that we're not really sure of when dry land actually connected them and then filled in, obviously, to what is now the Minch and other uh, pieces of the water and stretching through this area. But we really don't know much about it. Um, there's obviously basic sonar mapping of these areas and the waters, but we don't... There's a lot of unknowns in mm. this area still to this day. That is kind of incredible to think that it was there was once a land bridge connecting all of these places. Right. And then it's since fragmented from there. And what could be lost as a result of that cultural fragmentation, physical fragmentation. Exactly. Like, mm-hmm. Trace evidence or like just like, you know, interest, not trace evidence, but, you know, like petroglyphs or other carvings and markings that could have told more detailed stories of the folklore and the creatures we're talking about today. Those might exist deep down in the, in the minch. Which Maybe. we will get into. Yeah. Anyway, you had a little about. bit more on some of the islands, though, just to paint a little bit more of a, a better picture. Yeah, and we did already touch on a lot of this. But yeah, like we said, obviously these are pretty remote, and the Flannins in particular would be the most uh, in the outer part of the Hebrides, uh, approximately 32 kilometers west of the last isle, which would be the Isle of Lewis. Right. So it's pretty far out there. Yeah. If you were stationed there, you're out there. And, and back in the day when these were obviously manned by humans... We were a little more basic, so, you know, uh, there wasn't a lot of... You could just helicopter in, like, and rescue people. You know what I mean? Like, there was none of that. No, Transport Um, ships only. Obviously, there's not even really, like, radio connection mm -hmm. back then. It's literally, like, signaling with the light itself to communicate with the next closest Mm -hmm. ship or place or whatever. There wasn't any internet back in the day. But, yeah, no, like, you're alluding to here, these mysterious people, there isn't much known about their ancient past, although they are said to have maintained their culture for thousands of years. Yeah. There's mysterious mentions of peoples that aren't very clarified, and this goes as far back as Pliny the Elder Mm -hmm. and Ptolemy, which was an Egyptian astronomer. So this is interesting. These people have been referenced, and because of their sheer remoteness... It adds to the mystery in my mind, obviously. These isolated islands, they are 
the source for some of the most strange, mysterious, and quite frankly terrifying marine folklore. Some of the most extreme examples, I guess. Yeah. It's the misty birthplace, as Andrew wrote here, of the the dark Hebridean myths and legends. Oh, yes. Hebridean, sorry. (laughs) Hebridean. There's just something about the, the type of landscape and just the weather of that part of Europe, obviously the west coast of Scotland and these islands, that just has this... It just has this different atmospheric vibe, and obviously they convey that very well in like the film The Lighthouse, even though I think that is actually based off the coast of Maine. Mm. But just the ruggedness, the rugged remoteness of this place, it just... Oh man, I can just hear like the horn in the distance, like <laughs> the intro, <laughs> the intro to the movie. Yeah, no, it's, it's a great movie. I... Anyways, yeah, great film to check out uh, if you want to get yourself into the mood for this episode. In the mood for just strange folklore and uh, and the darkness of the sea. First up, that uh, as far as creatures go, that we wanted to talk about today was one that really inspired me and just felt like this was one of the more... There's not a lot of information about them, and it's one of the more mysterious. This is the Blue Men of Minch. The the fin folk of the Minch, if you will. The Blue Men name actually sort of got tied on a little later on. Mm-hmm. We really wanted to kick things off with this just because it is so strange. Even just as a folklore piece, if you don't believe that this originates with some sort of real-life encounters. And it very much reminded us of Game of Thrones with, like, the White Walkers to some extent, the Blue Men, the White Walkers. It has that feel (laughs) where they're, like, hiding in the minch, waiting to sink ships and and other things like this. Because I don't think they'll suck the life out of you. That's one differentiator. I mean, metaphorically, perhaps. One of the most interesting things to us with this legend is just how localized it is. Literally, these creatures are only supposed to occupy this area and have only been documented, quote-unquote, folklorically speaking, to occupy this area known as the Minch, which is this stretch of water where there's the little Minch and the big Minch that separates mainland Scotland from the Hebridean Islands. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, Finn folk stories surround the entire islands, but these guys seem to have a home right there, just in this dark, deep crevice of the Minch. It's got a great ring to it, doesn't it? So this is a description of these bizarre aquatic humanoid enigmas that I pulled from scottishfolklore.com. This is paraphrased here. Legend tells that the Minch is home to a clan of what most people consider to be mythical aquatic humanoids that have become known as the Blue Men. Most of the time, the Blue Men of Minch swim the seas, but when they are not meandering around this area of the Atlantic, they are said to dwell and sleep in underwater caves off the coast, in the area known as the Minch, and around the area of the Hebridean Islands. The connection between seafaring legends and the weather is said that while the blue men sleep, the weather could be fine and the waters calm. However, when they awake, they could conjure up storms whenever they liked. Just how they did, this was unknown, and in modern interpretations, just chalked up to folklore. Hmm. So... That is just a sort of brief description of the Blue Men. They would be seen by ships traveling through the Minch, but only very fleetingly and usually in stormy weather, very much like how people actually say they. Uh, there's been sightings of the Ogopogo in Okanagan Lake when the water's choppy. They could lend itself to miss sightings as well. But. Yeah, it, exactly. But it's, it's this idea that a creature would be more comfortable being closer to the surface at a time when it's like the view of it's going to be obscured. It's mm-hmm. going to be more camouflaged, potentially yeah. more able to achieve its goals, whatever those goals may be. Mm-hmm. 
all of this sort of led me to wonder this question <laughs> that I'm sure Amber will roll her, roll her eyes at here, but if perhaps there is a shred of truth to the encounters that we're going to get into here in a second, and that this general fear developed over centuries into the tales and the name, the blue man that got attached later on of these formidable aquatic enigmas. Now, how formidable are they? Why are they formidable? Well, they sink ships. Mm -hmm. Let's get into some of that. In the book Beyond Fairy, like Amber brought up at the beginning, the author cites how, author Cruz, he cites how merfolk in general, and this includes the blue men of Minch, have these supernatural abilities, obviously based on a knowledge of the weather. So it's almost like they have this it's a very magical ability, which sounds bizarre and obscure and crazy, mm -hmm. but it reminds me almost a little bit like, and I'm always hearkening back to old episodes, you know, a shaman of Kondri and the Akualele mm. on the islands of Hawaii in that episode, mm -hmm. where it's like these creatures possibly had like ancient, have ancient knowledge, the abilities to affect the weather that we just have no interpretation. We have no concept of whatsoever. So they use this. Oh, wait, sorry. I'm skipping ahead here. These creatures are said to be extremely strong swimmers, which makes sense because they're constantly going to and from various different depths, and they can be seen most often swimming and diving, like I said, when the seas are rough. This is when they're most confident coming to the surface, naturally. Now, they seem to have this goal, like we kind of allu alluded to here, of sinking ships that cross th through their territory. They are presumably presumably just extremely territorial creatures mm -hmm. they're either trying to sink these ships or at least trying to scare them off by having direct communications with the sailors and captains of these vessels mm -hmm. so they spend most of their time in the folkloric tradition following boats that are navigating the waters of the minch and there are cases where they can be friendly at first towards humans but this is dependent on their mood <laughs> so they're a little bit fussy these blue men of minch and if they've been treated with respect or not now that's all just sounds so fantastical and like fantasy right but it's not really just hyperbole when you juxtapose it to the fact that there are a lot of shipwrecks and a lot of unknown reasons for them that have taken place in the Minch. Now, I didn't go through each one, but I went to this awesome website, uh, scottishshipwrecks.com. It documents all the cases of shipwrecks that are known from like the early 1500s. Mm -hmm. But there's hundreds of others that they don't know of that just went missing. Interesting. And of the ships that they do have documented, I went through a handful of them. Quite a few took place in the Minch because all the waters around that area can be quite extreme. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them had no no known causes. They were the ships went down without any survivors. Uh, some of the wrecks have never been retrieved. They've been mapped like using like sonar and different stuff, and there's been images taken, but no one's actually brought up the wreckages of some of these vessels. Interesting. And so I wonder how well mapped the the surface of the minches. I'm, I would imagine it would be or like pretty, you know, like the ground surface, like right. below the surface. Thing. I mean, I'm, I'm I might be working on it all the time, I and I actually don't know how much like sediment shift there'd be if there's hiding, sh you know, wrecks down there or other things hiding. So there is something that is very definitive about the geologic history of that place, which we'll get to in a bit. Right. But there's also this idea that like, what if it is? I I have no idea what kind of materials are out that way. If it's like a karst landscape, if it's like just off the coast of Florida where they have all these sinkholes that can potentially suck due to suction, literally suction, suction down whole ships, yes. which has been recorded and reported. Right. Um, yeah, no. Another thing I just wanted to mention, too, like, you know, you're talking about how they could be friendly. I don't even know if I would say friendly, but they're, like, more so just almost, like, of a trickster-esque nature yeah. where they will 
they will play with you. And they will even, there's accounts of them. This is a very, like, it reminds me of, like, a lot of Celtic stories we looked at when we were looking at, like, worms, like, you know, like, the lamps and worms. The lamps and worms, yeah. Like, this idea of them requesting something from the captain of the ship or uh, throwing out a couple lines of poetry and, like, you know, expecting to have them finish it as, like, kind of, like, the key to their passage, safe passage, so to speak, you know, right. things like that. So it's, it's like, it actually is not very friendly. It's just very, no, it's menacing more than anything. A little bit, but like in like a playful-ish kind of a way, you know? <laughs> That's just but, got, adds a real creepy extra vibe to it. I'm really curious about this whole mapping of Minch, like how well mapped it is, if there's potential for like sea columns that ships could get caught on or like other sorts of geologic features. I don't totally. Know. Like, like we said, we didn't dig, too deep into that. But I can say from scottishshipwrecks.com when I was reading through a couple of the different uh, just accounts, and I'm not going to go through those today because this isn't just a straight shipwreck episode and they weren't actually, you know, described as this ship was sunk by the blue men, right? Mm. I was just curious to look and see like how many mysterious or just like unsolved cases of shipwrecks there Mm -hmm. were in this area and there's definitely a lot of them the vibe that i got for sure is that the area is i don't know if it's a karst landscape like you described but there's definitely it's definitely Mm -hmm. jagged and rugged and there are underwater caves which is part of the legend with with where these creatures actually reside that they that they retreat to uh, underwater tunnels and caves in this area. Mm, yeah. So we should look into that a little bit deeper. Right, that would be quite interesting. And also the fact that we're talking about like this narrow channel of water, you're going to have more swings when it comes to tides and stuff. So that could be another factor too. Absolutely. I'll tell you what, we will pull up some more information on that. And we're going to do a little bit, uh, we're going to do a straight up film Friday episode for the lighthouse that we're sort of peppering in today. And that will be available on Patreon. So patrons, you guys can look forward to a little bit more of a discussion about the landscape of this area and its high strangeness. But yeah, I thought I just, that was really, I thought it was kind of cool, interesting to mention just that like there are a lot of strange things that have happened in this area as far as ships going down and nobody surviving. And is it all just bad weather or bad luck? Or could it be that possibly some of these folkloric encounters did end up being very real fatal encounters Mm. with these malevolent aquatic humanoids? Now, we still haven't actually talked about what these things look like, nope. even though we know that they're going to be have humanoid features, mm-hmm. but they're not like mermaids, which I right off the bat was sort of shocked by. I had this impression that they were going to be like a merman with the, with the single tail, but most of the descriptions of the blue men describe them as not having fins like mermaids, but rather legs like humans hmm. without any real further description. So presumably they have like fin like feet. And immediately my brain went to the um, interpretation of the creatures in the film Underwater, hmm. where there's these ancient underwater humanoids, and it's basically like the full human human anatomy, arms and legs, mm-hmm. but the feet are like these long, crazy, weird fish-like flipper things. And another comparable would be, again, like Atlanteans or something like that, where it's like, even I'm picturing like, you know, what what we saw in uh, Aquaman, you know, that type right. of thing where they're, they're very like, they don't have tails. They're right. Not, yeah. We're doing like the kryptonaut thing right now. Like as per Aquaman, <laughs> <laughs> the, we, we can reference this or as per Shout Ultraman. Shout out to Jason Momoa. Yeah. <laughs> We've been enjoying uh, him on Star Ultraman Eight. season three, episode 16. Uh, <laughs> to reference this. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that was just a random Ultraman episode. I'm not sure what the monster was in that one, but nevertheless, <laughs> No, I find that to be kind of bizarre, though. So they have legs, and it's like, I wrote this in here. Could that mean that they were presumably at one point bipedal? And now that these Mm -hmm. bipedal appendages are like 
by aquatic appendages well, where they're being used as flippers rather than feet? Could they have come on land at or one point? Or they have, like, the webbing. Is right. this us? Like, is, is, it the, us? is, is oh this is gosh. this an offshoot of evolution? Well, that- you know, just to kind of, again, broaden the category a little bit away from just the blue men, so to speak, mm-hmm. there are many accounts of merfolk, finfolk, and the like coming onto land, seducing humans and dragging them back into their home. So it's not as if these are like, you know, the only ones that have been described in this way. No, but I mean like that, but the way, what you're talking about is almost more shape shifting. Like they shape shift and come on land rather than being like, I just walk (laughs) like the way these guys are described. It's like, they could just walk right up onto the beach. Well, that's exactly what counts. Yeah. There's general like merfolk that do that kind of stuff. Which automatically just sounds so demonic right and that's a that's something that we'll, well get tricksters. into and discuss like they're they're tricksters they allegedly don't like christianity which is mm-hmm. obviously a more modern interpretation of it because that's only been around yeah. for such you know however long right before, mm-hmm. before it was pagan and celtic pagan and these different different peoples experiencing these things yeah okay that we i digress it's, yeah it is kind of funny yeah demonic for sure it's like what are they a lot of the accounts kind of like speak to the idea that they want to woo say like a you know like the the female merfolk or mer person wants to like you know take them away not to eat them necessarily anything like that but just like to for them to be theirs or something like you know for them to be like locked together like you know it's almost like it wants your soul kind of (laughs) sort of is the vibe there a little bit but some of them are a little bit less like they almost seem like their intentions aren't that ill it's just more so the fact that it's more that just it's, a curiosity thing almost. It is, and it's highly incompatible racism <laughs> to a certain degree as far as right. their environments go. You know, it also kind of reminds me of the um, when I was reading the Crack and Wakes and like the idea of these beings taking on the ability to come on land for sure. Like, and that was a right. totally different iteration for sure. But again, maybe maybe there's some sort of technology side of it Ooh, that allows them to right. do such things as well. Who knows? Fascinating. Know. Actually, that, it's interesting you mentioned that because that does come up in the description of the blue men, so I'm just going to continue on cool. here. We talked about how they live in underwater caves in the Minch, allegedly, and that they can cause great storms. One of their descriptions actually says that when there's high traffic of ships they would actually sleep just below the surface of the water. So they weren't hiding in their caves all the time and then just making storms whenever they felt like it. They would actually wade out. It's almost like they were hunting. Mm-hmm. So they would allegedly sleep below the surface of the water when it was calm. And then when, when ships would pass through their territory, then they would spring on the opportunity to create storms and or interact with the captains and the members of the ships on board, mm-hmm. playing with their... Not food, but but sort of that's the, that's the essence of it. Mm-hmm. You're playing with your victim mm-hmm. before you take them down. So they're written of in folklore as being about the same general size of the average human being, the average human man, which again is sort of interesting. I guess that's sort of on par with descriptions of mermaids. Mm-hmm. Their faces are a bluish gray and very long in shape, and they are said to have extremely long arms, which are grayish in color. And in most of these descriptions, they either have blue heads or, this is like what I was just alluding to here, some just, some descriptions say that they have some type of a blue headgear. Hmm. There's even an account that actually claims that they have wings or what appear to be wing-like appendages, which Crazy. is definitely bizarre, not on par with them looking like humans at all. That's more like the, the fallen hmm. that's got like 
Yeah, how would angel vibes. benefit an aquatic creature? Yeah, unless they're like it's some sort of a water propel propeller or, or, or some a fin kind as opposed to a wing. It's a fin-like appendage, yeah, instead of a wing. Hmm, bizarre. Mm. You know, just listening to that description again kind of harkens back to our uh, Lake Baikal episode. And we talked about the silver swimmers. Right. And, you know, like the gray, silver, blue, I don't know, all these things are very aquatic-y, and it probably depends on the amount of light that you're seeing in these environments, very too. Very true. But that actually kind of, it's like, what if these aren't just of the minch? What if these are in other contexts as well? Right. I don't know. Entities that are perhaps a part of off-world civilizations, yeah. maybe linked to like USO sightings and, and other things. Yeah. Just uh, underwater entities, unexplained entities. Like, you know, like, this isn't something that just exists in this area. But Absolutely. Again, like, silver swimmers, they were described as a little bit bigger. And there were some other defining features that are a little different from these Sure, guys. yeah, but their suits were a little different. Maybe they're just a different tribe. They got different outfits, just like all these tribes in Stargate we've been watching. Oh, wow, yeah, we've you been know? delving deep into Stargate yeah, Atlantis. Yeah, the toys soldier clan that the, what were they called again the janai yeah they're dressed up like the nutcracker <laughs> like the nutcracker okay. good heavens uh, and some other notables too but yes. i digress yeah we could definitely go down the rabbit hole of like the magonia discussion which we've brought up on on the show as well with the like i think it was jacques valet the the book passport to magonia and the suggestion that a lot of folklore creatures and fairy creatures the fae very well could have a connection to extraterrestrial encounters and mm-hmm. could be a part of the uh, what is usually a completely d- different discussion, mm-hmm. ufology and folklore and, and fairies and different creatures like that, where, yeah, I, I actually think that there could be a connection there. That's a whole entire episode in and of itself. And like I said, we have we've talked about it before. These these things could be associated with modern USO encounters, modern UFO sightings across uh, the coast of Scotland. And there are a lot of UFO sightings in mm-hmm. Scotland. Whether or not they come out of the Minch or not, uh, we haven't looked into specifically. UFO, but. and I wonder about the USO, or if right. that is mostly explained by such lore already, you know? Mm-hmm. Hmm. I, I find that all to be just so, yeah, 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 it just really gets the juices flowing underwater, ancient civilizations, or from another world <laughs> that are associated with the Blue Men. I love it. Mm-hmm. Again, to juxtapose that, though, we have this the continued sort of folkloric description where they're very much more like the classical mermaid. So continuing on here, there was a reference that described them as uh, swimming with their torsos raised out of the sea. So when they're on the surface and they're interacting with the ships, they're popping their torsos out of the sea, twisting hmm. and diving as porpoises do. Okay. In Beyond Fairy, the author describes how it's fascinating the way that humans and merfolk are inevitably intertwined right and so similar but mostly in physical appearances uh some language too like they are allegedly able to speak and we get examples of that which we actually have a little bit further on there right but they are quote and this is a quote from beyond fairy more closely related to that of the fae than to us as we cannot reach the realms in the depths right and he also references how, like, you know, like, humans, ancients included, have never really had a way of summoning these creatures. So, like, you know, yeah. there's, it's all in their terms, so to speak. You know yeah, I mean? they come out when so, they want to. 
they exactly. made themselves make themselves known w- only when they want to. Yeah. And there's no ritual. There's no, you know, like, we're just the bait, I guess. Like, you know, like, interacting with us seems to be the only way, but... Yeah, no, and it's, he made that distinction. It's actually really fascinating how mm-hmm. the, throughout that whole book, Beyond Fairy, like, he talks about these things in very serious terms. You know what I mean? It's not just just purely, like, this is just folklore. It's He's, he's reviewing folklore, but it's like... Yeah, like the idea that they are more closely related in actuality to the Fae mm-hmm. than that of humans. It just sounds so descriptive, like in 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 reality. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. That that's their natural. That's their more of their lineage line, and the language thing is interesting to me too because it's like presumably these these entities would have their own language that we cannot understand. Again, <laughs> we're going fictitious in, in comparisons, but like that film Dagon, or if you guys are familiar with the actual literary work of H.P. Lovecraft there, the story of Dagon, they have their own language, mm-hmm. but they're able to speak English or Spanish or whatever when the film is, some, some of it's in Spanish, that, so they can communicate to meet, to get there, to, you know, to get to their own ends, whatever mm-hmm. their end goals, right? Yeah. It's a very, very shapeshifter, very, de- very demonic trickster for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Regardless of being more closely related in actuality to that of humans or that of the Fae, the question that we're grappling with here is, do these things actually exist, whether in our dimension or another? Have they actually been seen? Some believe that there is much more to the legends than the actual folkloric belief. And we've pulled up a couple of interesting little nuggets that might lead us in that direction. The first one being an extract from a book by a guy named Donald Alexander Mackenzie. And the title of the book is Wonder Tales from Scottish Myths and Legend. It was published in 1917. And he does describe the legend of the blue men. Gives us a little bit more to go on here. I'm going to read this exact quote. The strait which lies between the Isle on Lewis and Shant Isles is called the Sea Stream of the Blue Men. They are of human size and they have great strength. By day and by night they swim around and between the Shant Isles, and the sea there is never at rest. The blue men wear blue caps and grey faces which appear above the waves as they rise with their long restless arms. In summer weather they skim lightly below the surface, but when the wind is high... They revel in the storm and swim with heads erect, <laughs> splashing the waters with mad delight. Sometimes they are seen floating from the waist out at sea, as we described before, mm-hmm. and sometimes turning around as porpoises do when they dive. Interesting. Kind of a poetic description. Yeah, um, I like it. Well, and obviously this is steeped in, in poetry and, and just storytelling in general. Well, and speaking of poetry, that kind of leads us to this next little tidbit here, because as they're swimming around in the calm waters, like sometimes they would just straight up start a storm and and sink a ship, which has been, you know, what, when I was on that Scottish shipwrecks website, there were, you know, cases where it's like a storm whipped up like nothing. Mm -hmm. And we know that this is a, this is a real thing across Mm -hmm. many different areas of the earth, like the Great Lakes Triangle, all of a sudden it'd be calm weather on Lake Erie. And next thing you know, the steamer's at the bottom of the lake. Yeah. Pretty crazy stuff. Yeah, it's, it's gnarly. So, you know, the sea is always unpredictable. Yeah. And we have this fun little exchange here between a blue man and uh, the skipper of a ship. And like we said already, these blue men are allegedly able to speak, and it is said that when a group of these creatures approach a ship, 
the chief of the blue men may shout out lines of poetry to the master of the vessel, challenging him to complete the verse. And if the skipper does fail in this task, then the blue men will attempt to capsize a ship. So it's almost like a rite of passage to know your... <laughs> it's actually kind of funny. It is um, kind of funny. But yeah, no, this is a classic interaction between uh, mariners and the blue men. And we have this fun example from Mackenzie that highlights a f- an exchange between... A skipper and the chief of the blue men. Right. So this kind of goes as follows. It starts with, with the, the, the chief, the blue, blue man chief. Man of the black cap, what do you say as your proud ship cleaves the brine? The skipper. My speedy ship takes the shortest way and I'll follow you line by line. My men are eager. My men are ready to drag you below the waves. The skipper replies, my ship is speedy, my ship is steady. If it sank, it would wreck your caves. There you go. That's fun. It's like a back and forth. It's not like he's like shouting out two lines and then expecting the thing, but I yeah, love that. I love it too. And I was I was sort of curious whether it was like these blue men knew classical poetry and it was a know your literature, know your literary classics challenge. Like I'm going to say a poem that you should know and you have to fill in the end of it. Mm-hmm. Or is it more of a uh, a bring it on dance battle situation where there's very arbitrary rules and <laughs> arbitrary stakes and it's basically like they have their poem and you got to have a better one and whether or not yeah. they think it's better or not is yeah. basically how they judge whether I, they're going to sink yeah, you or not. Exactly. Or is it more so like known canon? Or exactly. Stuff? So, yeah, exactly. Like That's Tennyson or whatever it might be. Yeah. <laughs> right. I love it. Uh, we actually, we have another account here and this is an actual, it's another encounter story. This is coming from an author named Gregorson Campbell and it tells the story of the capture of a blue man, which is kind of cool. Yes. Uh, the sailors allegedly seized him and tied him aboard their ship. Uh, so the, the passage goes as follows. In the channel between the Lewis and the Shant Isles, there was a ship passing through. It came upon a blue-colored man sleeping on the waters. He was taken on board, and being thought of mortal race, strong twine was coiled round and round him from his feet to his shoulders until it seemed impossible for him to struggle or move foot or arm. The ship had not gone far when two men were observed coming after it on the waters. One of them was heard to say... Duncan will be one man, to which the other replied, Fakur will be two. Upon hearing this, the man, who had been securely tied, sprang to his feet, broke his bonds like spider threads, jumped aboard, overboard, and made off with the two friends who had been coming to his rescue. Uh, so that's kind of a very interesting fable that speaks to the strength that these creatures have. Absolutely. And it's, it's weird because was he like, was he unconscious? Did he get knocked out? Was he sleeping? Like, what's going on with this guy? Right. And yeah. was he, and that's, that would be proof of what we were talking about before. It's like they have these bipedal appendages. You're mm-hmm. pulled on board a ship. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you just have a single flipper fin, you're flapping around to get off the edge there. But this guy literally breaks the ropes. <laughs> like a little mermaid. Not and, really. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, not really. But yeah, no, that is fascinating because there haven't actually been like any attempts to quote unquote kill these creatures. They are referred to as demons in some of the literature. Mm -hmm. So we know that there's obviously been an attempt in the past to go hunt down like demon black dogs, like the black shook or other creatures like this that are described in this way. Right. But Mm -hmm. we couldn't find anything where it was like a hunt of the blue men of Minch uh, going after them in the waters for sinking ships. (laughs) This was the closest thing capturing one floating on the surface. And I feel like there's a lot of stories that I came across when I was reading the Beyond Fairy that 
are very similar to this encounter, whether it's not exactly a blue man, but it's like in Beyond Fairy, there are so many different accounts of these almost accidental rescues that turn into captures or vice versa, where they're trying to capture it and they don't, they're not successful, they are successful. And there are actually recorded deaths too of these, like these merfolk creatures in the hands of men too. So that's not actually like, it's not as if they were out on like, you know, getting their pitchforks and whatever. So although it was difficult to come up with stories or accounts from hundreds of years ago that we could tie to some of the shipwrecks in the Minch. There are these folkloric stories. And then we were able to actually come up with for a source that's a much more modern encounter. Mm-hmm. Wasn't expecting that at all. I was expecting a lot of these uh, cases to be in like the 1800s, maybe up to the turn of the century kind of thing. And there are some of Kelpies and other merfolk and, and mermaids and sirens and things like that, which of course are all under the same umbrella. But this one was actually from 2022 on the Isle of Lewis, which is one of the larger islands of the Inner Hebrides. It is inhabited. It is absolutely stunningly beautiful when we look at the photos. It basically looks oh. like Caribbean waters off the How coast of Scotland. Island? Oh, it was gorgeous. I, could, I couldn't believe it. So if we have Scottish listeners or anyone who's visited the Isle of Lewis, we would love to hear about your experience there. Yeah. Or if you felt any sort of atmospheric strangeness in the waters of the beach. But this one uh, is, is kind of an interesting story. Got to take it with a grain of salt, Mm -hmm. but utterly fascinating. It reads the title, Mum finds, quote, proof of Scottish sailor's myth after spotting a creepy face in the waves. (laughs) (laughs) Now, yeah, not the most compelling title, but that is the title. And they start this article talking about, obviously, the blue men of Minch and this sort of centuries-old Scottish myth of these creatures. This woman came forward with this uh, a few weeks later when she was looking at the photograph she took that day. So her name was Stephanie Cranston, 38 years old. Her and her family were spending time on the Isle of Lewis, which is in the Hebrides, with her two sons and their father. And she claimed that she was having a very strange experience and having this strange sensation. She felt this sense of unease being there on the beach, which she described as being very strange because they spent a lot of time near the water. And she believes that she may have seen a storm kelpie or Ooh. been in the presence of a blue man of Minch, otherwise even known really as... talked about the kelpies yet. Exactly. Otherwise known as storm kelpies. They are directly related to the family of the malevolent kelpie. Okay. So this is the... I'm going to just read the direct quote of her experience here. She commented, I was at the beach with my family and they were jumping in and out of the water, but I've never felt so uneasy and I'm in the water a lot. So I kept telling them to get out. I suddenly felt uneasy about them being near the edge of the water. I was taking loads of pictures, but it wasn't until I got home and looked through them that one of them stood out. The way the sea is in that picture, you can see what looks like a figure coming out of the water of one of the waves. My hair stood on end. It was pretty creepy. I've never seen anything like it before. Hmm. Now, we're going to definitely share this image on social media, and you guys should check it out. The link will be... I'm actually going to put this link directly in the show notes uh, in the description here, so you guys can click through it on your phone right now as you're listening and check it out. She continued on to say, I don't really believe in any stuff like that in in a response to a question about the blue men of Minch. So she sees this bizarre face in a wave and continues on. I don't really believe in any stuff like that, but I caught that in the picture and thought, this is absolutely crazy. The Hebrides has myths about the blue men of Minch. Looking back at the picture, it's quite creepy. I think that 
if this is what I think it is, it's the only one that's ever been caught on camera. So mm. obviously she believes in the myth. Okay. It is indeed a very creepy uh, photo. So, so we have this image in front of us here. We're looking at it right now, and it definitely is creepy. It looks yeah. like almost like skeletal features, but with some more on a frame. It looks, it does look mm. like a face. It reminds me of the cartoon face from like Snow White, the witch. I mean, are you getting cartoon vibes? I'm no, 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 no. I'm getting... Like, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm the cartoon Snow White. Got you. Like the shape. Because I'm pretty sure by this point, they've probably made a live action one. I'm <laughs> not aware of it. Right. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, no, it does remind me of like a water witch or something. So the, so basically the, what's interesting about this, it's a crashing wave. It's mm-hmm. a reasonably tall crashing wave the image is zoomed out um, at first, so it just looks, it doesn't look that massive, but it's probably about a four foot wave. It looks like maybe four and a half foot wave um, just as it's, as it's curling over. And it's at the top of the curl where there's this, it, it definitely does look like a face. And then it's very dark directly below it where the rest of the wave is crashing and has sort of the white mist as you see a white cap as it crashes over itself. Yeah. I mean, it could easily be just the classic, I can't remember the technical, the scientific mm-hmm. term, but like the human brain wanting to see faces. The anthropomorphizing. Yeah, it's not making anthropomorphizing. That, making that connection where we're just, we, 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 connect, we connect all that anatomy to see yeah. a face. And you and I are prolific at that. Like mm-hmm. we're, we're sitting in a, at a campsite and it's like you look at a tree and it's got a hundred faces it just does. as we're yeah. at the spot you're Sometimes looking at. Sometimes even right? when I'm on the toilet, I look at the, the <laughs> towel in front of me and I'm like, there's like, there's a million different things going on in this towel. Amber does we, not need much for entertainment. <laughs> There's no bathroom readers for Amber. She just needs a I'm towel. I need a faces. towel. Yeah, no, it, 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 uh, have we done too many mushrooms? I don't know. Ooh, possibly. But it's very much, uh, you can see faces in a lot of things. So I won't discount that, but I will say this is pretty compelling. It's compelling. And it's also, I mean, obviously, like, we haven't <laughs> we haven't sent this image to a, a, a photo specialist. This Anything could be could be doctored or photoshopped these days very much Um, (laughs) but we're not we're not rolling with that right now i mean the 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 story seems sincere and it's really basic and it's not like blown out of proportion like like a creepypasta elaborated on in some sort of like ridiculous or excessive way even though it does come from a uh What's the website again? It's the, the Daily Mail or Yeah, obviously it's a mix of like, you know, sports news, all kinds of different the news. Record. There's there's definitely a lot. You got to take it with a grain of salt for sure. We've mm-hmm. come across some pretty woo-woo stories on this website before. But yeah, this was a modern alleged account of a sighting mm-hmm. of one of the blue men of Minch or at least a fin folk creature that may be related to these to these same creatures we're discussing. The only thing is is that like, if it's in a breaking wave, clearly this is trending into the shape-shifting category. Because this is right at the edge of the shore. There's nowhere for it to go. You're not diving back down into the depths. Or, right? Yeah. So it's almost like this is a... This has a more spiritual element to it. And that's definitely something that's come up here. We, I think I have a section to mention it below of whether or not the blue men of Minch or just fin folk in general that have been witnessed over the centuries are spirits of of the lost spirits of lost sailors Mm. that are like trapped in a kind of a purgatory like this is how you operate because you are that's all you know you are one with the sea and you haven't been able to pass on to the next to the next life that 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 i I find because i do find this face to look rather devilish it has a very devilish sort of a vibe to it 100 percent. yeah you know there's so many references to these finfolk beings being against christians against christianity 
And is this just like a leftover pagan metaphor for like the struggle for like pagans to keep their rituals alive? Or is it something even more dark, like the Dagon cult of Cthulhu in the depths of the sea? That's what I'm sort of hoping for. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Of course you are. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, but you know what? I mean, we always trend into these categories where we know there is legitimacy though, right? UFOlogy. Ghost hunting, hunting, yeah. and like spirits and stuff. So I think the suggestion maybe that they are spirits of the Minch could tie into this photograph being actual evidence. If it's not doctored and this actually is that, it seems more like a spiritual entity that can like come and go, materialize where, where it wants to in the water, mm. rather than being a physical being rising up from a cave and yeah. then going back down to its cave. Mm-hmm. Do you, yeah, no, I totally, sort of yeah, like, yeah, for sure. A little more uh, ethereal, so to speak. Indeed switching gears a tiny bit but not really Mm -hmm. this was something i alluded to just off the bat when we started talking about the geology and like you know whether or not this has been mapped fully and this kind of provides a little bit of an answer to that uh the minch is possibly a site of a major asteroid impact right scientists first started to kind of bring this theory to light in the mid 2000s 2008 specifically and it's believed that the waters of the Minch, underneath the surface, is the site of one of the biggest asteroids to strike the British Isles specifically. Mm-hmm. And there is evidence of rocky debris that was created by a colossal impact, uh, something that would have affected the area substantially. However, this would have occurred over 1.2 billion years ago mm-hmm. when life on our planet was much different, uh, the landscape, everything would have been obviously changed. Uh, so, unfortunately... The site has not been extensively, like, studied because of the fact that it is offshore and it would be um, a very significant cost to pursue. Absolutely. It's dangerous waters. It's mm-hmm. deep waters. I believe the Minch, you know, 200 plus meters, like, is the so kind of average depth. It's pretty deep down there. You need one of those submersibles. You definitely would need a yeah. submersible and go looking for some blue men. Yeah. How much would that, how much would it take to get you in one of those things? <laughs> You can no amount me. of money. <laughs> yeah, no. No I know. I think I'm money. good from the shore, okay? But how fast, like, okay, I, that, I wasn't expecting this to come up in the research. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're talking about the idea of potentially fin folk being linked to USOs and the idea of Magonia, right? Like fairy folk being associated with the UFO phenomena. And here we have, you know, something that is obviously extremely ancient, far, 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 far before anything even resembling us evolved out of the ocean, which is, of course, the birthplace of all life. The origins of life that we crawled out of was already here when this thing hit, presumably, because there was already some stuff going on. And then it's like, well, what else was brought? The whole panspermia thing. Mm -hmm. And they actually mentioned this on a recent Kryptonaut episode that we were listening to. Again, shout out to those guys where... They were talking about a few different creatures that have a very difficult DNA lineage to trace. Octopus being one of those creatures, Mm -hmm. which happens to be one of the most intelligent animals on Earth, uh, if not the most, uh, aside from us. They obviously are extremely strong. They can grow to massive, massive sizes, and their DNA doesn't really connect in any meaningful way stretching back into, like, the history of the planet. Mm -hmm. They don't have many common ancestors. It's like they just appeared here. Even, like, cuttlefish? Yeah. Like, Hmm. their, their DNA is, like, very, very, very different than other species that can be traced back. They're aliens of the ocean. And there's other species that are kind of like this too, where it's like a little bit sort of up in the air as to their exact origins, right? Mm -hmm. And so that sort of leads us to believe it's like maybe they're 
a different iteration of the same thing that we came from. Like we are from some distant place in in the ga- in in our galaxy or beyond. Yeah. And it has landed here. That's so, crazy. You know what's so funny? I literally just look up octopus DNA origins. And like the second thing that comes up, alien DNA found in octopus genetics. Guess who posted that? Who? Ancient aliens. Okay. Of course, <laughs> they're going to love that stuff. And then yeah, exactly. Loves that stuff. But there are a lot of articles that are just talking about whether octopuses did come from outer space. Are they alien? Are they something that is not? It's extraterrestrial. Who knows? Well, I know just the, the, the prospect of that too. If they are highly intelligent and they are have alien DNA, quote unquote, and only 20% of the ocean is actually like detailedly explored, then I think the prospect of there being actually a highly intelligent, ancient, massive Cthulhu-like creature hiding in the depths of some undiscovered cavern at the bottom of the ocean is entirely possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if I would like it to be possible, but this sounds like it's entirely possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I... I just... <laughs> <laughs> I want to believe. I do oh, want yes, to believe. Oh, yes, you are Mulder, for sure. But yeah, overall, for the Minch men and the Blue men, the encounters uh, and stories about them has been relatively fleeting and few. But there's so many other creatures that they're closely related to where we do have more descriptions and encounters and the like over the centuries. The Kelpies. So the Blue men of Minch have been described as themselves being storm Kelpies. So... Brief mention here, these creatures are very common in the parts that we're dealing with today, and perhaps in some circumstances are mistaken as merfolk, or if you want to kind of classify them as a subcategory of merfolk too, Mm that all depends on who you ask, really. It's one of the most common water sprites, or spirits, I guess I should say, in Scottish folklore, the name being attributed to several different forms in narratives recorded throughout the country. So for today's episode, let's just note here that there's actually a, there's, there's a divergence. There's Kelpies and then there's Selkies. Right. Uh, the Kelpies would be associated with like rivers, locks, lakes, not really marine inhabit- habitats, I should say. Whereas the Selkies would be like the sea Kelpies, which I think would fall under, the blue men would fall under that category. Right, that makes sense. Yeah. A lot of descriptions describe them as powerful, beautiful black horses dark creatures that inhabit the pools of rivers and streams in Scotland. They are malevolent. They do like to prey on humans. And like I alluded to already, the the form, the equine form is alluded to as being like a, a attractive vessel for shepherding humans out to their doom, essentially. Gotcha. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, they're charioting them. Charioting exactly. them out to, the, to their doom. So yes. Yeah. yeah, exactly. They, they like, talk about that in Beyond Fairy, page 75, is, uh, carrying them unwittingly to their deaths, which is uh, very dark. These can take on human forms. They're kind of shapeshifters. I know we already kind of alluded to that. They're described as um, attractive. They have features that kind of go beyond that of regular human beings. So it's almost like human-esque but not the uncanny right you know what i mean it's trending in that direction i just i want to say like you know as as like a comparison to say like in ufoology aliens appearing as human-like or like even even the uh the men in black and sort of their strange appearance and stuff like that it seems like the fae or the fairy folk and fin folk have like a much better interpretation of that like they appear Mm -hmm. as beautiful creatures or they appear as things that humans actually want to see rather than just like say like a mashup of what this entity thinks we want to see you know what i mean yeah they actually appear 
as women or as whatever, uh, as a, a beautiful horse or as these things that are like recognizable to the humans that they encounter. So if they are actually associated with that, anyway, mm-hmm. that was just a thought popped in. Totally, yeah. And there's not, it's not like they're just either human or horse. Like they could, they could be a dog-like. There's descriptions of them looking as if, appearing as a great mastiff. Um, eels is another example there. The one defining feature, though, that I read about was the idea that you can see it in the eyes. So right. there's something about their eyes. I'm not sure quite exactly what, but there's something about it that lends them to, like, reveals them, so to speak. But, Glowing um, a certain color or just, like, yeah, being extra large, maybe? Like, just, like, the size of them? Maybe they're just, like, black or something. Who knows? But as we previously mentioned, too, the Selkie is known, or the Kelpian Selkie, they're known to have a special skin or a coat to which it is bound. It's almost like the key to the creature or something. And folklore often tells of stories of capture. And if you capture this coat, you've captured the Selkie spirit as well. And I'm not sure why you would want to do that. No, Maybe why? for your own nefarious purposes. I don't know. It's a common thing, apparently. Not common, but it's happened. It's, it's crazy because these are bloodthirsty. They're malevolent. There's not a lot of descriptions of them, like, quote unquote, tearing people apart. But I would imagine once they get into their layers, that would uh, be the case. Yeah. And yeah, I guess the same could be said about the blue men of Minch, like when the sailors end up drowning and sinking down. I mean, I wonder. I don't know. We don't really get that far with those guys. But if they are related to these creatures, you would presumably think they would do the same thing. Like, are they feeding off of these? Like, that's just it. Yeah. If it's on the demonic side, it's like a soul-stealing kind of thing. If it's an entity, it's like you're actually dragging a physical body to its doom. And like, what for? But that's not all. Because the Selkies, Kelpies, and such don't just, like, you know, take you back to their lair. They have been known to do other things, other nefarious things, such as raising floodwaters for unwary travelers. Like, say, if they stop to camp on the side of a lock or something, and then in the middle of the night they get surprised by something like that. Right. They can also mimic humans, and they can lead people astray, whether it's rescuers or just travelers or whatever. So that's kind of another trickster element to these things. I guess the least of evil uh, would be their ability to steal. And oftentimes this would just be like foodstuffs from uh, cottages, villages, something to just encourage people to move along. So that is very much the the folklore fae side of it that it reminds me so much of like, you know, Icelandic elves or yeah. other sort of like creatures like that where it's very much not aquatic really right it sounds very very terrestrial they're mm-hmm. coming in and stealing your your biscuits out of the basket in the in the folklore fairy tale you know what i mean it's well, got that yeah. feel there's even accounts of merfolk um offering suggestions to villagers as to how to improve their foodstuffs which is again the author of uh, beyond fairy he kind of laughs at that he's like how would they know of these terrestrial things or why would they like them or or need them? Or why would they even offer advice in the first place? Unless, you know. And I guess when you think about it too, even right now in 2023, like we have fables about very like real things. You know what I mean? Like fables about animals, like children's stories about a shark or or things like that. Things that we know. And then there's there's this side of storytelling too that's based on obviously oral histories throughout the centuries and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm obviously always, always trying to tie it back to some root of something. The inspiration of where would 
why would they come up with this? Why yeah. would why would these pagans be telling these stories in the first place just for fun? Like the ancient ancient Celts and people, and that's where the stories originate from. And then Christianity gets sea melded cows in. Cows is another one that's often mentioned. Yeah, apparently I'm, they're herded by the merfolk. It's like their version of you know of cattle. Yeah. And that kind of makes sense. Yeah. Obviously, porpoises and dolphins are actual creatures that have been uh, used to ex- explain mm. real-life mermaid encounters and sightings in some of the descriptions. The manatees. Are manatees? They're more so endemic to, like, the Florida I think they're more warm-water creatures, yeah. yeah, and obviously uh, endangered know, species. Though. Of course, being inspired to do this episode by the film The Lighthouse, we have the imagery of the siren, or the mermaid, which is kind of synonymous in a lot of this folklore, in that film, where it seems to be like this cr- creature that has some almost mind control capabilities or it's it is messing with the the energy of the the space that these men are occupying in this very like strange atmospheric you know island that's sort of something that i find fascinating and i think the mermaid encounters are a lot more prevalent obviously than the blue men but if we're talking about fin folk and selkies and all these things kind of under the same umbrella I think it's worth mentioning. So I wanted to get into mermaids, this figure of the mermaid that we all know so well, of course, but I do see it as being directly <laughs> related <do> we? <laughs> to the blue, well, at least in imagery. Everyone knows what a mermaid looks like when yeah. you say, of course, with the Disney film probably being the, the most referenced thing as far as that goes. And the blue men not getting their own Disney film. They're not They're not the sexy creatures. They're the, the bi-aquatic or bi- the bipedal, formerly bipedal, and now they're using it to swim, possibly mm. relatives of the mermaid. Who, who we know are, you know, usually uh, unlucky omens. Mm-hmm. They're usually foretelling disasters or, or possibly provoking it. They also have murderous intent some of the time, which is sort of what we get in the film The Lighthouse, where he's more or less drawn out to his doom in various different ways. Mm -hmm. We will discuss that further on Patreon. So yeah, we wanted to at least mention mermaids as related to the blue men because it's definitely a phenomena that, you know, people claim to have encountered these things. People believe them to be very real. Yeah, and obviously, again, this just adds to this rich historical canon. There's so many stories, there's so many descriptions. The differences between mermaids, mermen, that's another interesting one too. A lot of mermen aren't quite as popular as the mermaid, and for pretty obvious reasons, I would say. Even despite their, you know, like, they're dangerous, the mermaid is oftentimes softened slightly, and the mermen are often portrayed as wild and usually have no interest in human beings. But yeah, anyways, getting back to the Beyond Fairy here, because he has a lot to talk about, and one of these... I alluded to this right off the top of the episode because I thought this was so fascinating. Uh, It was a description from the Isle of Man, which is located in the Irish Sea. It's between Great Britain and Ireland. And it describes how uh, the underwater, an un-underwater explorer, unnamed, I wish we knew his name or a little bit more about the story, but it says he was using a diving bell. So that kind of gives you an idea of when this occurred. One of the earliest diving vessels ever used by the ancient Greeks and stuff. Yeah, Mm -hmm. crazy. And he descended to, quote, great depths only to find a grand city of houses and pyramids made of pearl and coral arranged on streets and squares. A grand city. So, like, for me, this it's almost like the Atlantis found or something, if you want to call it that. But uh, It screams Atlantis, absolutely. It and it's like, obviously, this story, we don't know if this story is, is true. true or not, mm-hmm. but... Yeah, I mean, did you did you 
see this actually sort of hidden in a certain spot or did you descend and almost like peer through what was just a perspective? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You saw it not literally right in front of you, but you maybe saw it through a veil or something like that. Oh, I don't know. Hmm. And that's a fa- I, I love that though. But that's fascinating to think about that they actually have, because a lot of them, the stories describe how these people have a society. They're not single like dwellers, unlike like, you know, like the Selkies and all sorts of other sort of sea creature type things. They seem to be a little more sophisticated, for sure. More of a civilization. Yeah. Uh, this was cool, too. We found this in Beyond Fairy as well. It was a more ancient description. A lot of people will be familiar with Beowulf. It's a classic, um, epic uh, Anglo-Saxon poem. And I studied this poem, actually, when I was in English, you know, high school. But I kind of forgot the details. And there is a description. Okay, so Grendel. It almost, he had like a baby-esque type appearance, but he was like this disgusting troll-like creature. Anyways, his mother is described as a mere wife in the poem. Interestingly enough, Grendel is kind of a reference to Grindelow, which is another term for monstrous water sprites. In those films, though, it's a little bit more amorphous as far as, like... Have you ever seen the epic? Like, I can't the, remember if the, I've actually seen that. Sto- or not story, sorry, the film that they did, like, in, I think it was, like, the mid-2000s. Uh, so that's kind of an interesting... That's one of the most ancient references to a mare creature, uh, a monstrous mare creature to boot. In so, poetry. I think that's kind of interesting. I mean, these things go back a long, long way, obviously. Yeah. And we have, I mean, we know that the peoples of the Outer Hebrides, of just the Hebridean Islands and the coast of of Scotland in general, and across Europe, Mm -hmm. these things were known. It was part of the annals of creatures, obviously, Mm -hmm. that then developed into more of like the classical, because when we're talking about this today, like the merfolk and the selkies and all these things, it's all based on like classical literature. It's the poetry, it's the folklore writings of the last few hundred years, rather than us being able to go back to even more like ancient scripture or full out, full out, you know, uh, engravings that tell these stories, Mm. even though they are based off the essence of things much older. And you know what? We do have to remember, too, that a lot of these would just be passed down in oral tradition. Exactly. In the form of music, bards, uh, minstrels being one of the main purveyors of such, like they were keepers of culture, essentially. So there's a lot to think about when... And another thing that just popped in my head, too, while you were talking there was this idea, I know we already talked about this with the Kelpies and the Selkies and the difference between, like, marine and, like, inland types of creatures like this. The same does apply to mer-people and mer-folk or whatever you want to call it. And there's even within that, there's, like, a subcategory, I believe, within that that's um, the white women. And these are often found near lakes. And again, they kind of have a very similar, they could harken back to like, you know, just like a foretelling of danger. They could take you. <laughs> Those are very common. Just these pale, pale lakeside white women. Pale luring women. Luring fishermen or walkers by. <laughs> <laughs> luring. We have a couple stories, though. Do you want to get into some of that? I think we should stuff? definitely mention a few encounters for sure. Yeah, there's one in the Scottish Isles, of course, from the island of Barra. This was an account where a man sighted, and I'm not sure if he was on land or in a boat, but he sighted what he thought was a seal eating a fish on a reef, only to look closer and realize that it was in fact a mermaid holding her young baby. And so he decided he would let the pair go. He was going to capture it because it was a seal, like food, (laughs) whatever, but... Quick little encounter, decide, Mm -hmm. and the human has the upper hand. 
which yeah. isn't always the case. Which does seem to be, it kind of goes back and forth sometimes with these guys, but this next encounter we have comes from 1830, and it was a mermaid encounter that occurred near Benbecula, which is in the southern Outer Hebrides, Hebrides, sorry. It's uh, titled, Strange Encounter with Animal, quote, in the form of a woman in miniature. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Reminds me of the Fiji mermaid. A little bit, yeah. (laughs) So the story goes, and this is a quote here, around 1830 on the island of Benbecula, Scotland, a woman who wanted to wash her feet at the reef found herself looking at a creature in the form of a woman in miniature swimming in the calm sea in close proximity to her. She called her friends, and soon a group of people watched the odd creature as it swam about and made somersaults, kind of similar to the blue men, hey? Indeed. Some of the men tried to wade out to the animal, but it started to swim away. Then some boys threw stones at it, and one of them struck the creature square in the back. A few days later, its dead body was found on a beach 3.2 kilometers away. The upper part of the creature was about half the size, or sorry, about the size of a well-fed child of three or four years of age with (laughs) abnormally developed breasts. The hair was long, dark, and glossy, while the skin was white, soft, and tender. The lower part of the body was like a salmon without the scales. Crowds of people came to see the creature. It was described as being the size of a well-fed three- or four-year-old child with these abnormally developed breasts. And uh, apparently it was buried in a small coffin near the shoreline where it was found. They Bizarre. like to talk about the breath. <laughs> well, I mean, I suppose that's a notable and, and, and just strange feature to be so prominent. The only thing yeah. that I... It would be off-putting. <laughs> it, be it, like, I mean, especially if this thing is so... Yeah, like it is pretty miniature. Like a, you know, like a three or four-year-old child is only going to be you know so tall. Like how tall would that be? Not mm, very big. Like two and a half feet. Yeah, so quite know. small. Three feet maybe? I mean, if this is a true story, I mean, presumably maybe the, the reason for the... The enlarged breasts would be something to do with um, the other story you read, where there was one scene with its child, its young yeah. child, and maybe there was maybe it was could could have been not one in the same, but the same type of maybe. the same type of merfolk creature because it was maybe with child or yeah. ha- with uh, in- infant ones huh. that never really comes up in a lot of the. I mean, a lot of just creature encounters in general. I feel like Sasquatch is one of the few where young are are referenced. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, there's definitely others as well, but that is kind of, that is strange. It is. There is also a slightly different version of this story where it's essentially saying that a group of men tries to capture this animal in the form of a w- woman in miniature on the shore, but they failed. And as a result, it t- attempts to swim to safety, and at that point, it was struck with a rock. And then the same, the story is the same from there that it's found days later and then buried on the beach. I mean, I guess that's the respect part of it. It seems yeah. like something that the peoples of the Hebridean Islands, going back to their ancestors, would would do. Mm-hmm. And I do think I actually rem- remember in some of the research when I was looking at Flan and Isle stuff specifically, like there's ancient cairns on these islands out in inner and outer Hebrides and stone circles, lots of things that are quite old that we've talked about in the past. And there are indeed some of these that are known burial sites, but that have, they're not exactly the same as the rest of the isles. Some of them seem like they're almost, yeah, offering sites or places where they were, they were making offerings to the sea. And cairns are known for vessels to leave messages in so maybe they were leaving them for other things exactly i don't know yeah 
So you know what? We are finally down here where we can kind of meld together our final thoughts and theories on the subject of the Minchmen and the merfolk of the inner and outer Hebridean islands. Mm-hmm. Where, where do you want to kick things off with? What's, what do you, what's your favorite sort of angle to take with all of this? Why don't we just start with maybe the most mundane? So <laughs> the Blue Men is sort of a modern name, like I mentioned off the bat. And there's some historical explanations as to where this might have come from, and it Mm -hmm. may be the entire origins in and of itself, and the merfolk aspect or the finfolk just got kind of tacked onto these names. Kind of gelled together over the centuries. Exactly. That same Mm -hmm. book I mentioned there before, uh, Donald McKenzie, in his explanation of all of this, he sort of uh, suggests that the Blue Men likely it was based on research of this this is on his research of sort of the annals of Ireland and uh, the United Kingdom and dating back to the times of the Vikings and King Harold Fairhair <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <that's> a- <laughs> obviously the Vikings were slavers it's not Harold it's Harold 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 sorry H-A-R-A-L-D essentially the Vikings were slavers as we know and the Scottish Gaelic term Fergorma, meaning blue men, was associated with slaves taken from North Africa, particularly the Berber tribes mm. that were nomadic in North Africa. And so many historians believe that this is where the origin comes from. They were known to have uh, blue tunics, blue robes. I don't know exactly how they dyed these types of things, but they were associated with the color blue. So that phrase... Fergorma literally translates to the stream of blue men or river tide Mm. or stream of men. And it's associated with black slaves from North Africa. But the the strange thing about this is this is sort of around the ninth century. It's Moors slaves. It's, it's North other, you know, North African slaves. And so like, it makes sense that if they're wearing things that are this color, that it would get, get associated with that. And they're being brought North by Vikings through the Minch as the Norse were occupying the Hebridean islands at this point, it was no longer their former inhabitants or they were mingling together. But why would then the stories of these creatures be associated with things like sinking ships or conjuring storms or having these unique, powerful abilities when, you know, allegedly, historically speaking, the name is derived from people who definitely didn't have any agency, definitely didn't have any power. They were not operating pirate ships in the Minch and sinking ships or of any sort of like great fear for the people that that were coming in contact with them. That true, that's very valid, those points. But it could have just been a conflation. There could be unexplained things, unexplained phenomena like like these sudden storms and st- such that would come up within the strait. But it could have just been a conflation, the name, because this Suruth Nam Firgom, the stream of the blue men or the stream of, like, you know, like, it's as if they were, because, like, the whole idea was, like, the Vikings transported them through this channel. Yes. So they would have seen them. So it's, like, maybe the name just got simplified. You know what I mean? So, like, yeah. we, we, we already have an association with this particular body of water, with this phenomenon. Uh, what is it called? The Tureg people? They were known as the blue men of the desert from Saharan Africa, essentially. These were specifically the type of people. And if you look them up, it's like, how do you get your clothes as blue? Man? Yeah, they were like, an ethnic, <laughs> yeah, they were a, 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 a Berber ethnic group that rocked blue headgear, basically. Yes. And it's interesting, too, because they have these wraps, and we did have the, the description headgear. of blue headgear, which may or may not be another conflation in itself, but... And you know what? The gray skin, 
What if that's just like how they would have appeared without a lot of sunlight because these were the winter months that the Norse spent up in these islands. Right. So they would have been cold. They would have been like maybe they would have had a grayer appearance, like featured. I don't know. I guess the thing that the I'm thing not. That, I'm not trying to say that's the the be all end all answer. No, like no. That, but I, there is some. There's validity. To that no, absolutely. Sure. I agree. I just don't see why they would then be associated with thin folk and that the stories would then go that direction with the name the blue men it, well, it just seems strange to me yeah i don't know it's a very loose association a body of water blue men does not explain everything obviously because there are so many other accounts of things that happen away from this particular channel have nothing to do with the blue men quote unquote or the right. minch so to speak correct so that's true it's, it's a partial not a full explanation no it's a partial because obviously blue applies to water in and of itself as well so yeah. it's like these things are coming from different depths, the different col- different colors, and then appearing that way on the surface in their descriptions or whatever. Actually, honey, it's just the way that the light refracts that makes it seem like it's blue. Of oh, course. Blue. Yeah, I, I realize that. But <laughs> that's what people see, right? So in, in a name or a description, <laughs> that would make sense. But yes, that is the more mundane explanation, historical explanation for at least the name of the Blue Men of Minch. Mm-hmm. But definitely not for the category of merfolk in general at no, all exactly so i think maybe my personal favorite or i mean at least one of the one the angles of this where we can investigate much much further is the idea that these may be associated with underwater aliens or just underwater civilizations transplanted from somewhere else usos or not even transplanted what if it's just a, a very very far-reaching history that far exceeds anything that the human mind like an atlant like an atlantean type history or <laughs> exactly, something like even further 10 million years actually i think in the series supposed to be ten thousand years but you know 10 like a million years ago or like a billion 1.2 billion years ago when sure. that um, when the asteroid hit when the asteroid hit or meteor exactly. crash or whatever it was Meteor, asteroid, whatever. Came from L- space. Large rock with carrying yeah. genetic material from somewhere crazy uh, far away. We don't know. Yeah. Basically, yeah. is the, is the That's essence. That's definitely of that. one of my favorite theories. I guess too. I would have to agree with you. Well, there. and it could apply to so many other things too, and that just makes sense scientifically. Like, there's a lot of other aquatic humanoids around the world that don't necessarily mm-hmm. fall under the umbrella of the merfolk that are unexplained but have been encountered. For example, like the ninjin. That's been cited by Japanese uh, military and fishing vessels that has this sort of like humanoid shape. Obviously, the Baikal swimmers. The silver swimmers. And even just thinking about it, you know, like the fact that Baikal is a rift lake. What if it's not a rift lake? What if it's a huge, long, like meteor, like skid mark? A meteor skid mark. (laughs) Just leaving all the juicy alien DNA through the whole whole trench. Everything got saturated. It's like one of those things you put in a Petri dish and it blows up when you put the water in it. I, I know we're kind of like speaking a little bit jokingly at this exact <laughs> moment, but it, but, yeah. but all of this is like, we do not know the exact origins of all, of all life, right? And that is quite fascinating. Like the idea of panspermia in different ways or at different times, possibly from something hitting the earth and also just the earth itself. Like we don't really understand I mean, for example, I pulled up an interesting article on underwater or sorry, underground oceans and mm-hmm. how there's a lot of you know scientists that believe that Earth's water could likely come. All of it could have come from just under, you know, inner oceans, basically. Got the, like gases that formed in the liquid. Yeah, rather than glaciers there. melting on the surface or whatever. Hmm. So in terms of like beneath our feet, we don't understand, let alone beneath the ocean mm-hmm. where the cubic like where the pressures are just so insanely immense and we can't fathom it. It's just, it is an alien world. Yeah. In every sense of the word. Honestly, once you watch Stargate Atlantis, you you, 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 you
Anything can happen. <laughs> now, but I do, I, I don't know if the, the gate to Atlantis is necessarily in the Minch in Scotland, but why not? Well, hey, they got all these stone circles. What if it's like their version of it? You just got to dial the right number, man. We've speculated on that in the past. I don't know. We have indeed speculated on that in the past. Reverberations. Another one of the possible sort of explanations or the root of some of these creatures could potentially could be that of elemental beings that view, are viewed as being demonic beings because mm. this is all happening during a time where Christianity is obviously the lens where a lot of this folklore is being talked about. And we've mentioned already that the fin folk and the merfolk mermaids specifically they're pretty anti-christian uh the face and the wave and that alleged photograph from the woman in 2022 on the beach in lewis definitely had a certain look to it that looked like a gargoyle kind of thing or something to that effect and i have to wonder if a lot of the abilities to you know control the weather and things like this if if there's any sort of root of truth to it all if it these creatures are yeah i mean they materialize at when they want to some people might just put them under the category as demon. I mean, I don't know how you feel about that. Never take the devil off the table, some people say. <laughs> Never indeed. Well, it's a demon, that's just one interpretation of what. Or like just malevolent there. spirit is obviously how we've referred to them. I guess what is, I mean, a demon isn't really a spirit per se. It is though, in a sense. It's a little... Uh, I mean, how did you view, because there is connections to so many other entities. So it's like the Black Shook is something I mentioned briefly earlier on in the episode. There's a connection to the Hebridean Islands with similar legends of black dog entities like the Black Shook, mm -hmm. which we've done an, an episode on. I don't need to read this yeah. whole thing here, but there was one story I pulled up that's on the Isle of Harris, where there's this uh, fairy dog that's mentioned in folklore. And mm -hmm. this woman who was out walking with two friends, and she, it was quite dark, but then she saw a self-illuminating dog. It wasn't mm -hmm. massive, about the size of a regular dog, but it had a really small head and no eyes. It allegedly ran towards her, but then the creature vanished as it bounded past her. And when she went home and described this to uh, her family members, her aunt told her that that was the Ku Sith, the fairy mm. hound of the Isles, very much mm. like the Black Shook That's um, cool. on the mainland. So there's these spirits that exist there. Mm -hmm. They can manifest in different ways. You have to wonder if they are connected or perhaps even just one in the same. Whether or not the, the aquatic well, hey. ones are just choosing choosing to be in the water that day, I, I guess. Did, I did say, like, you know, like, there are accounts of these selkies taking on dog-like appearances. There's all sorts of shape-shifting going on here, okay? And, like, I forgot <laughs> to even mention, too, before we, because we headed right into the stories, we were talking about the mer people. But the idea that even mermaids can come on land they can take on a form with legs and it's interesting because uh, some tales say that a mermaid can do this simply by removing a few scales from her tail that's it yeah i don't know there's all sorts of uh vulnerabilities that the female merfolk seem to encounter more so than the mermen there's not a lot of accounts to kind of uh, but yeah, no, things like yeah them transforming um obviously trying to take lovers and and then under the guise of whatever. Almost like exactly like the Little Mermaid. Huh. Except Ursula's not involved, I guess. But, uh, I suppose not. I suppose not. <laughs> it's not really a curse. Well. But going back to like, yeah, the whole, yeah, everything is connected, folks. No, I'm just kidding. It, that, I feel like more and more we've been doing this for five plus years, this show covering paranormal stuff. And as the years passed, it just seems that that's the case. Like, that's the case. Like, everything does seem to be connected in some mm -hmm. way. It's actually kind of bizarre. But we want to know what you guys think about this. Yeah. 
Are the blue men of Minch based on anything real? Have you traveled through the Minch yourself? Are you from Scotland? Have you seen anything weird in the water out there? Yeah. And uh, if there's any folklore stories that are interesting that we haven't mentioned today, we'd love for you guys to hit us up with those as well. Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, I definitely want to believe. I feel like we're living in this unprecedented era of UFO disclosure right now and the Mm -hmm. paranormal world sort of opening up so to speak, to the people who are just either dabbling in it or not not even paying attention whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And things that were very not real to most are becoming more and more real. And I just think like, man, 80% unexplored. What the hell are we going to find when we continue to explore the world's oceans? <laughs> I, I kind of, on the one hand, really want to find the daggone cult people down there. And I, I, I also kind of don't at the exact same that. time. Yeah, I mean, a little bit of 50-50 there. A little bit of 50-50 there. Maybe 60-40. So hit us up. Let us know what you guys think. <laughs> and uh, as always, we wanted to give a shout out to all of our patrons. Thank you guys so much for supporting us on Patreon. And yes. stay tuned for us covering a film Friday, diving deeper into the film The Lighthouse, which was the inspiration for this entire episode Mm -hmm. and the high strangeness in that film. So yeah, shout out to our producers. We have Adam Kellums. Thank you so much. Kitsune. Jarrett Mm -hmm. Cornelius, Mm -hmm. and all of our uh, Patreon supporters. Thank you guys so, so much. Yeah, hit us up on the social medias at mm-hmm. Into the Portal Podcast on Instagram. We're still active on there. Into oh, yeah. the Portal One on Twitter, not as active on there. And I refuse to call it X. That's just the stupidest name oh, change in God. the history of time. It's just like so try hardy, trying to be cool. It's just ridiculous. So I think it with Triple X. Tri- oh, yeah, hang out with Vin <laughs> Diesley. So cool. <laughs> cool story bro <laughs> hit us up on facebook at into the portal podcast we're still on there from time to time posting some articles and stuff and we always love to hear from you guys so you can mm-hmm. send us an email at into the portal podcast at gmail.com and we just love it we love hearing from you guys yeah we do so, so hit yeah. us up and until next time on into the portal your gateway to the bizarre